Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lee's here with another episode of Surfing Sales Podcast. We have a really fun and interesting guest today. I met Andy, um, I guess, gosh, it was 2011-ish. Uh, we were working at a company called Matchery. He, uh, I think you were the product manager, correct? Uh, I would ran product marketing at Matchery. Product marketing. And so the thing I always liked about Andy was that Andy got sales. Andy got it like in a very different way than most people I'd seen in marketing. And, and in fairness, I probably hadn't been at enough good startups where this exists, but um, everything I would talk to Andy about, there was always a, he could just understand what we were trying to accomplish from the sales side and how to interpret that to the marketing side. It was beautiful. So Andy Raskin, thank you for joining us. And we don't really have a title, um, which you'll explain because we don't know how to introduce you other than you wrote this really cool medium post one day that blew up. <laughs> That's fine. We you can you can introduce me like that. The guy who wrote that medium post. Uh, uh, <clears throat> if people haven't read it, it's the one I think you're talking about. It's called the greatest sales deck I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, yeah I have this problem. Um, I, I I've been going to like uh, grad school reunions, and you know I, I got an MBA, so everybody's got you know their their name, their company, you know. Title. Mine, mine said Andy Raskin self-employed. So it's like this, it's, it's the shame that I have to bear uh, of, you know, sort of, <clears throat> and, and others who uh, kind of have this company of one thing. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I liked, I, I guess I just, in my LinkedIn bio, it says strategic messaging and positioning, which uh, is just sort of what people seem to call this stuff. So that's what I've, I've gone with for, for now. I guess we're all, all, all three of us are, uh self-employed i actually like that because it kind of makes people you know they're going to kind of go oh they're unemployed and it's kind of like no yeah. you don't take that judgment on me yeah I, I have people i have people who ask me all the time how my retirement is going right <laughs> right yeah right yeah i don't work so, for a company so i must be retired now <laughs> so Andy, yeah. for, for those who do, for those who don't know you um what is your background like you know were you always in product marketing like even before mashery right in in the you know in the 2000s, you know, before we hit the teens, um, what were you doing business-wise? Were you ever in sales officially? Have you always been a marketer? Like, what was that like for you? Um, yeah, so I started from a very different place. I actually was a computer science major undergrad, and I was a coder uh, coming out of school. And uh, it was kind of late 90s. I was working for... Uh, this technology consulting firm and a friend and I had a, a colleague and I had an idea for an app. This is like 97. So we're talking windows app. And of the two of us, uh, I spoke English fluently. Uh, he was Japanese. And so we decided, uh, we coded a prototype and we said, okay, I should probably write the business plan. Uh, cause I speak English. So I wrote the what plan. was the app though, before you talk about the plan? What was the app? What was it supposed so, to do? So, uh, without getting into too many details, it was to help companies tap into uh, viral marketing, which was just becoming a thing. Uh, to help them do kind of like telefriend type offers, track viral spread, uh, the kind of things that are sort of built into a lot of a lot of platforms today. Fifteen um, years too early. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I think ten. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Kit, <clears throat> so uh, we send my plan out, and the plan is pretty much trashed by uh, all the investors. When we get a response at all, it's really bad. Uh, but this one rejection letter 
kind of was the seed of everything that happened after. He, he said, uh, listen, Andy, I rate every business plan I get on a scale of one to 10 and yours is a one. And then in parentheses, he wrote worst in case we thought one might be the, the top. <laughs> no. uh, but then he actually mailed a, a hard copy of our plan back to us. And in the margin, he wrote not a compelling story. And I didn't pay much attention at first. Like I was pretty crushed by the one. But a few weeks later, I'm walking by this Barnes and Noble, and there's this sign in the window, and it says, for anyone who wants to tell a compelling story. And that's me. And so I, I look, and the sign is pointing to this stack of books. And the books are about screenwriting and something I know nothing about. Uh, but I, you know, nothing to lose. I buy the books and start reading them. And what I realize is they have a very different approach to structuring the pitch. Uh, in the beginning, it, you know, there's this idea now is very popular that a, a pitch should be like a movie. Uh, I actually think, you know, most of that is not true. A, a pitch is not a three-act screenplay. Uh, but there's something about the beginning of movies that's very, very, uh, that, that has a lot of lessons because the beginning of a movie is a pitch, uh, really in two ways. It's a pitch uh, to the main character to, to do something, to go on some journey usually. Uh, and it's a pitch also to the audience, you know, to invest their time in the rest of the movie. And I found that the way they structure was quite different. And uh, the, the, the biggest difference was that, you know, the, the, the action in, yes, there are problems to be solved you know, for the main character, but that's not the starting point. The starting point is always an event uh, that asks the main character and the audience really to start living by a new narrative, start playing a new game. Uh, you know, Luke, <laughs> you want to keep playing, you know, you were playing that complaining teenager game. Well, look, now you're going to have to play this kind of caring adult, trusting the force game. Uh, and, you know, I probably did a horrible job at incorporating that into our pitch, but I did it a little bit. I basically started with this phrase. It was something like, now, uh, now the most uh, valuable, mar valuable sales channel is going to be the... Uh, some of the, the, the people that your customers trust. In other words, like viral marketing, you know, it's gonna be the word of mouth, basically. And we then set up the whole thing through that. And in me, we sent it out to some new investors and the, the change was like uh, night and day, like how they responded to us. Was that, the only, was that the only thing you really changed? Just that narrative? That was the only thing we changed in the pitch. There were definitely some other things that happened that helped us. So we got funded. This is the, you know, a few months later. There were definitely some other things that happened. We got an, a buyout offer from uh, Excite. We had launched our prototype and Excite, which was like an early uh, search engine competitor to Yahoo. And uh, we, that, that actually fell through because they got then bought by an early ISP called At Home. But that kind of lit a little bit of fire under the VCs too. But the interest, the initial interest, uh, was was not because of that. And and that you know we didn't change. It was the same team, the same product, everything except how we told this story. And this was really striking to me. 
um, you know, the, <clears throat> the dot-com bloodbath was, was really hard for us, like everybody, but at least we managed to find an acquirer. And I think the story played a big role there too. Uh, by that point, you know, I thought about like, do I want to go do another startup or join one? And I, I thought, of, but I was so much more interested in the story thing. And so I was, I was actually writing a column in Inc. Magazine for our startup and, uh, and, and an editor from Time Inc. Uh, contacted me and said he's starting a, or going to be editor-in-chief of a, a, a magazine called Business 2.0. Do I want to join as a writer? And I was like, actually, yes. And so I actually became a journalist for about six, seven years uh, and uh, wrote like hundreds of stories and eventually became an editor about entrepreneurs and, and uh, new innovations. And you know, I think there's that CEO to journalist path is probably not a well-trod you know, career path, but there was a big similarity, like how do we get someone interested in something very quickly using words? <laughs> I, want to, I want to pause you right there because Scott has written hundreds of pitches, right? I met Scott at early stage startups that, that did things. And, and Scott, I'm just asking you, is that what you were doing when you write these pitches? Did you realize you're sort of following the same kind of path that, that Andy is? Um, or, or was there a little bit of a, a nuance? I mean, there's obviously a nuanced difference, but I'm just curious from a guy who's written so many pitches for successful companies, how does that align with you? Or well, doesn't it's, it? It's, it certainly aligns. I, I did not and have not taken the time to study, you know, storytelling and screenplay writing and journalism and all of this kind of stuff. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just, from the beginning, sort of understood that in, in order to compel somebody to do something, there has to be some type of narrative there that is motivating. And, and I, I don't consider myself to be, you know, one of the smartest people on the planet. So, like, I need analogies and stories and things I can grab onto and hold onto and relate to and whatnot. And so that's just how I started, you know, writing these, these sales decks and, and scripts and, and that type of thing. Um, you know, and so part of it maybe was just, you know, in, intuitive. Part of it was dumb luck. And then part of it was, okay, this is clearly working. So I've got a bit of a, you know, process here to, to stick to and all that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, I obviously agree with Andy. I would say that he took a much more scientific approach uh than, than than i have but um you know well, Scott, I, I, what i'd say is you're one of the lucky ones where it seems to come naturally you know um and i think there's a lot of ceos where it comes naturally you know obviously jobs uh <clears throat> elon musk it seems well he seems to go back and forth between being great and being really bad uh but uh you know for me and i think for a lot of people it, it wasn't I stayed away from story or English classes like my whole life. Like I was a pure math and science guy. Like this is the last thing I ever thought I'd be. And, and, and interestingly enough, like I was the opposite. Right. Oh, yeah. like, uh, I, I was terrible at, you know, science and, uh, and, and like higher levels of math and all that kind of thing. But I was studying philosophy and religion and psychology. Right. 
So but you were getting it. You were getting it like it was already part of you, right? I had to. I had yeah. to come to where you were already there. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and yeah. I had to go. Yeah. And I had to go to the scientific side of of sales and selling, which is like, look at all this data. I got to analyze all this. Mm -hmm. data. Right? Yeah. That stuff matters and so forth. Yeah. yeah. So Scott, did you, did you see what he said though? You're you're a cross between Steve Jobs. Elon Musk and Scott Lease. Like that's pretty cool, man. Like congratulations. I didn't I didn't, I didn't hear that. <laughs> I don't know if I exactly said that, but I I I'm willing to give you that, Scott. If, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm closer to Elon Musk when Elon Musk fails or sucks. <laughs> that, that would be a compliment in and of itself. Well, so what so what I what I found really, you know, so you know, this started by you asking kind of how I got to mastery and and part of that was, uh, you know, I got married in uh, 2010, and already the writing was on the wall for the publishing industry. Like the magazine I worked at had closed, and uh, you know, selling freelance pitches was, was getting harder and harder. And so it was natural for me to kind of go back to tech. And you mentioned, uh, and you know that I worked at uh, Skype uh, as a product manager uh, first in the developer program. Uh, and then that led to going to mastery. Uh, and, and what was interesting to me there was when I started to see was, it wasn't just that storytelling, like it was this kind of skill that I could use to kind of brush up my pitches and make them better, but that the successful folks were like, there was this one story they were telling that the CEOs were boiling it all down to this one, what I've come to call strategic narrative. Um, you know, that post, the greatest sales deck I've ever seen, it's, it really is not about the sales deck. You know, ostensibly it is, but what it's really about is that Tian Suo, the, the, the CEO of Zora, has, has boiled everything down to this one story that everybody's telling, including uh, the folks through sales. So talk, so let's pause there for a second, right? Because you were at Skype and, you know, literally 10 or 11 years ago. Um, that, I assume that was pre-Microsoft purchase? Yes, just before yeah. that. So yes, mm -hmm, that's right. So, so fast forward 10 years and we're in the middle of this COVID thing and all of a sudden it's all about Zoom, right? And for me, it's like people kind of knew about Skype. Like, what do you think? What happened? Why, why isn't Skype getting the level of love and play that Zoom is from your, yeah. un, you know, whatever why, level? Why aren't, why aren't we on Skype right now? Said and I think it has everything to do with what we're talking about, which is the narrative. So what was Skype's narrative when it came out and became successful? It was free phone calls. And that narrative was what drove Skype's revenue model. Hey, you can make free phone calls over the internet. You want to make a call to somebody's phone, like their landline or their mobile phone? Pay us a little bit, and it'll be cheaper than uh, it'll be cheaper than you know regular phone calls. And this became the cash cow of Skype, and this became the narrative that everybody thought of of Skype as oh, it's like cheaper than phone calls. The the interesting thing is you know when we were at Skype when I was at Skype. Everything at Skype happened on Skype. So all everything we're doing on Zoom today, 
we did on Skype, multi-person multi video. Every, in fact, everything we, you can do on Slack, pretty much, we did on Skype. You could set up channels and have, your, have rooms that, you know, I had, a, I had a room of, like, there was a room of competition. Uh, you know, we, people would post stuff about if there was competition, you could follow that, and you could follow different conversations. All of this stuff, but Skype was kind of trapped in this high-level narrative about free phone calls. And yes, like also, they also were approaching it from a B to C approach, right? It was all about the consumer. It wasn't necessarily about the business to business side. Right. I mean, they had a they had a, a unit called Skype for Business, and they sold business plans. But you know, once that that high-level narrative is about that thing like you said, this consumer thing about, you know, free phone calls or cheap phone calls, very hard to move it to, oh yeah, we're also about that. It's hard to be, to have like these multiple stories. And right. so I think Zoom came along when, you know, there was this new story about remote work and how, you know, the operations of companies happening this way. And, you know, combination of that and having this great product that sort of you know that, that worked and fit it uh sort of magic combination so talk, talk to me a little bit about so for those who don't know andy for lack of a better phrase goes in and helps define this narrative right helps people to sort of hone in on you know what's the story you want to tell right and i assume it's beyond the value, right? Beyond your value statement and those kinds of things. Talk to people a little bit about that. Like how do you, how did they, you know, without giving away your service for free, but what advice would you give someone to say, help me, I want to, I want to recraft my story. I need to understand my story better. What, what kind of advice do you give to people? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I used to see it, I used to see my role kind of like a, almost like a creative agency. I come in, I kind of inter, you know, talk to everybody, I go back to my cave, I kind of write down, hey, here's what I think the narrative should be. By the way, uh, well, we'll get into, I, I was in, what is the form, what are we even talking about when we're talking about what the narrative is and like, what form does it take? And I really believe it, it one of the best forms it can take is the sales deck. Uh, we'll get, so we'll get to we'll get to that in a second. But so I used to go and then I'd say, okay, here, what about this as a sales flow? You know, it's the narrative of, to guide a sales conversation, or whatever. And uh, and then I get you know get feedback and they'd say, oh, I like this, don't like this, and I kind of come back and we go back and this back and forth. And it worked okay, uh, but then but because there was so much of this back and forth, it was my lead time for new projects got very long. And then that greatest sales deck article came out and it was like four or five months before I could start working with another team. And so this one CEO said to me, listen, Andy, I've read that post. I've read all your other posts. How about instead of you going back to your cave, we run the same process that, you know, you go through, but I'll go back to my cave and I'll build it and you just be available to like talk to me or come to my cave whenever I want. And I was like, well, that's not going to work because I'm the genius, you know, who writes the story, you know, you know, and it's interesting though, you wanted to do all the work because my brain is like, perfect. I don't have to do exactly how Scott thinks. Work. 
event. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, but I, I, I didn't want to, but I was like, well, they're, they're going to mess it up, you know? And wow, I couldn't have been more wrong about that. Um, this project, so he convinced me, he was very persuasive. Um, and he convinced me to do it. And this became the best project I ever did. Uh, and it, the, the team kind of bought it, like owned it in a way that I had never seen before. And it started appearing in all kinds of places. What do you mean? Oh, so hold on, stop, stop right there. One, if, and if you can't, I understand, but are you comfortable saying who this person was or, or the name of their company? Are you um, to? I, I think they wouldn't mind, but I, I don't know that I have actual permission to say it, so I'm not going to say it yet. Okay. So then let me ask, you said, so as I was interpreting what you said, it kind of spread like wildfire. Everybody was owning it. What does that mean? Like, what, what were the things that you saw people doing with it? That um, you it know was, this it was the sales deck. It was, it was, they were just, do, they were about to do a new round. And it was like, basically became the center of the, the investor deck. Uh, I started seeing it on, they were, they were sort of producing um, swag <laughs> with the, with the, this stuff on it. Uh, so this was, this was happening in a way that, um, that I thought was really interesting. And what was also interesting too is, you know, this was a few years ago and eventually it changed. And what happened too was as it changed, they would tell me about it and they were still using the same basic framework to think about how it changed. So what I really liked is I also gave them sort of the expertise around how to think about this stuff and how to evolve it as, you know, the market's going to change. And so you, you taught them to fish instead of yeah, giving yeah, them, exactly. you taught them to fish. Yeah. Um, so and is so, that, by the way, is that, is that, is that how you know when you got it? It's like, Hey, when I'm willing to put this on my swag, then I know I've got the right narrative. Well, yeah. I think, no, I, I think, I actually think it's a sales deck because, um, you know, I really believe that this strategic narrative has to come from the CEO, has to come from the leader. Uh, if it comes from marketing or just marketing or comes from someone else, it's not going to take hold. I think we've all experienced this. Uh, I did a post about this the other day on LinkedIn and seemed to get, get a lot of resonance. Um, that said, like, what is the asset? <laughs> like, how does the CEO communicate that in a way that it does permeate and you know typically at least on the marketing side they're taught to to construct a story and and have it live in a place that nobody actually sees so it's some positioning statement or what some marketers call our, our messaging house it lives in this house which is like some diagram in a powerpoint presentation of of a collection of messages and the idea is that the thinking was hey we go back to this this house or this positioning statement and it would be our guiding uh, light when we're producing a sales deck or we're producing our website or content and all this stuff and in my experience that never happens like we we build this thing or marketing builds it or whatever and it sort of we're, we're, we're building the sales deck and we're kind of starting from scratch. We're building the website and we're starting from scratch. And so I really thought like what, and through my experiences at Nashery and other places, like what is 
the asset that if we could get the story articulated there, then I'd know it was going to be basically the 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 comp it, it would live. And I really I came to the sales deck. Um, be, and and I know you know there's a I'm not saying that everyone has to use a sales deck. Uh, that, what I'm saying is, can we articulate it in a kind of sales narrative form? Where they actually I was use this, call this episode why everybody has to use a sales deck. By Excuse Andy me, what? I was going to well, call this yeah. episode why everybody has to use a sales deck by Andy Raskin. Thank you. To totally destroy me on uh, on modern sales pros. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Have you taken this kind of carefully crafted um, narrative approach to building your brand? Let's let's call it on uh, on LinkedIn and, and various platforms. Or, or had, did that had, did that just kind of happen by chance because you, you wrote a few things that you know blew up and all these people kind of you know found you because of that? I'm curious what's been your tactic there. Scott, are you asking like did I am I using the strategic narrative approach in building my strategic narrative? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at if you look at uh, my posts and pretty much what I write about. Um, you know, I do talk about I, I, the, the, the basic structure of this strategic narrative, whether it's Zwara, uh, now Gong, um, originally Salesforce, is old game, new game. So uh, do you do you fix it? Do you focus your posts on on that kind of dynamic? Like, is, is it always about this? Um, kind of same central story, old school versus new school type of thing? I wouldn't say that every post lays it out, it, it lays out the, that the old, what was the old game, what was the new game. But in general, all of my content is about what this new game means, how it changes uh, the game, how it changes how you have to act to thrive. Yeah. Whether, and, and typically that's about, how you're a CEO, how you're doing sales, marketing, whatever, how this new game affects yeah. everybody. These, these engagements that, that you have, I think I read somewhere on your profile or site or something that they tend to last about six to eight weeks. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, for the initial one to, to get the CEO to build the narrative and to have a lot of back and forth between the leadership team and yeah. to also to some extent test it in sales. So yeah. invested in some real sales calls. But what, what, what fascinates me and what I'm curious about, um, you know, because you've been at this on your own for longer, longer than I have. And I know there's a lot of people who listen to us who are, you know, in business for themselves or thinking about it, you know, and getting out of working for other people. What's fascinating to me is you've got this kind of project-based business and these customers presumably work with you for call it two months and then you've done what you need to do with them. And then it's like, shit, I better find new customers constantly. Right. And if you're deep in the weeds of, of working with CEOs and, and, you know, other uh, executives and whatnot, how does one find the time in, in, in your, you know, line of work right now, how do you find the time to find new clients? How does the prospecting part, work for a solopreneur, right? Who's selling themselves as a service, basically. How, 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 are, how do you approach that? 
Um, I think in a way we've kind of covered it, which is what you mentioned about content. So <clears throat> I don't think that I could do what I'm doing today in a world where things like LinkedIn, Medium, uh, certainly social media did not yeah. exist. Yeah. Um, all of my, uh, all of the work I've done has been inbound. Whether, I'd say most of it has been from, uh, from people reading the content. Uh, certainly that, that uh, greatest sales deck post, but other, other posts as well. So you um, use you use your content essentially as prospecting. You produce I mean, content, you, you do it consistently, it casts a larger and larger net, people find it, then people dig in a little deeper, find you and what you do. Yeah, although I mean I try not I don't really think about it so tactically that way. I just really enjoy writing about this stuff. So I think that maybe that comes through. Uh, yeah. I enjoy thinking about this stuff and uh, sort of seeing how it applies in different ways. And I don't know, maybe that energy about it has, you know, I've been in other, I've been in companies where, you know, we, we had to just churn out content and it was like a job. <laughs> and I think that's not gonna, that's not gonna work. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it has to really be, you know, come from something you're really interested in and excited about. You, uh, you, but, are, yeah, you like, are you somebody who's even capable of producing content if you're not, not like inspired. I'm, I'm not, this is why I'm asking. Like if somebody said to me, like you have to put out, you know, an article like every single day about something, I can't do that. You know what I mean? Like if the spirit doesn't compel me, then nothing comes out. I'm like you too. What I'd say though is when I do so, and, and yeah, I definitely don't do, I don't force myself to do one thing every day. I, I, I pretty much do wait until uh, I get something interesting, but then, you know, there's, there's a balance to that. Like I'm working on a book and the book is, it's, you know, really like that at that length, it's hard, you know? Yeah. And I, mean, I, I do I'm have that to, place right now. <laughs> the, uh, you know, quarantine, there's, if there's any uh, silver lining to quarantine, I think it's that a lot of people are getting uh, time to work on their books with no excuses, you know? <laughs> and, uh, that's certainly for me. And, and one thing I find is, you know, when I, when I'm forced to sometimes, uh, the, the, uh, the inspiration comes <laughs> and, uh, you know, I try not to write stuff. I, I try not to just put stuff out that what that isn't inspired, but that doesn't mean I can't start working on something where I'm not quite feeling it and then somehow get to a place that feels better. Um, that, that happens a lot, I'd say. Yeah. Um, there's a great, um, there's this uh, great sculptor in the Bay Area. I'm going to forget his name. So forgive me. I'll, maybe I'll remember it and we can give you, I can give it to you for the link, but uh, for, for later. But um, he, I think he was, his, his uh, <clears throat> fame started around the 60s and 70s. And people asked him, uh, he, he has this, this, uh, this idea he calls the magic man. And the magic man is this uh, <clears throat> sort of invisible figure that visits you as an artist in your uh, studio and gives you the great ideas and tells you what to do. Uh, but the catch is he only visits you if you're in the studio struggling and working through stuff. So, <laughs> uh, 
That's so, pretty funny. Uh, I do subscribe to this uh, to this idea, and uh, I'm always waiting for a visit from the the magic man or woman or whoever, whatever you it's want. Like, to it sounds like the tambourine man, right? Whatever, whatever works for you. Yeah, the candy man, right? Those two songs from long whatever, time ago. whatever is the whatever is going to work in in your your metaphorical world. That's fine. Yeah. What um, what do you see in people do now, right? Like, so we're in the middle of this COVID thing. To your point, it's it it is a time to go back and reassess, rewrite some things. Um, are you seeing companies do that? How are they even adjusting? Maybe not even what you know. That might be for what they do when they get out of it. How are they adjusting their narratives now? What do, I assume you have people calling you to say, Andy, what do I say now? What do I do? You know, in a way, well, I have had some of those, and I've and I've also had a lot of like podcast and um, sort of like panel uh, in, interview uh, invites to talk about this kind of stuff. And in a way, I, I feel like it's a different question. So the strategic narrative that I'm talking about, this one story that's sort of, you know, powering the company that, that we're acting as if that's really what we're selling. You know, uh, Zwara really acts like they're selling the subscription economy, not some software package. <laughs> the software package is almost like a prop in the story that they're selling. Um, that, <laughs> You know, that's different from what I think what's happening now, which is this, like this crisis. And in many ways, I think the people who are the best equipped to talk about this are the people who are, you know, versed in like crisis PR or, or the people who are kind of on the front lines in, you know, sales and marketing and other, you know, who are trying to figure out every day what works, you know. I think new stories, new narratives will emerge out of this. And in some way, in some cases, some companies will keep telling the same story and this will just feel like another, another point in that narrative. Like, you know, Gong is a great example. Like they're telling this story about, hey, uh, you know, goodbye opinions, old game, hello reality, new game. And Part of that trigger, part of what triggered the new game is that, hey, we're recording conversations now and we have and we have AI and we can, you know, we can mine that stuff for information and get this real view into what's happening. Well, this is only, you know, accelerating that and, and making that, that same story uh, even better, you know, even stronger. Uh, so... I'm kind of sitting this out <laughs> in terms of like giving people advice on how to handle this. Uh, I do hope that I'll, you know, I, I think a lot of new narratives will come out of this uh, or, or strengthen narratives. And I do hope I'll have the chance to help, you know, CEOs and their teams tell those strategically, uh, but, but not, not right now. That's, that's one of the things I love about you is that you are very capable of sort of saying, I may not be the right person to ask this question to, <laughs> right? Like that's, that's, I think that brings a tremendous value to who you are and, and having worked with you and known you, you know, that's just part of who Andy is, not even Andy Raskin, self-employed, you know, uh, author in waiting, you know, kind of a person. So uh, what's the book about? What are you going to be, I mean, is it this in a different format? Is it, is there anything exciting? Any, any earth shattering news we can share with people? 
no, it's about this. It's all about this. Uh, and it's about, yeah, it's, you know, I put out that framework in the, in the greatest sales deck post, which has like five pieces. And, you know, every day I get uh, email or message from somebody who says, Hey, you know, this helped me sell, whether it was, you know, my company vision uh, from CEOs or whether it was an actual salesperson saying that uh, literally people telling me like it's helped them get jobs, you know, like, tell the story of my, you know, in my job interview of, of myself. And they're, but they're always asking questions like, so how do I apply this? Or how do I apply that? Um, and in some cases, by the way, I've gotten like, hey, it didn't work. And then I'll look and I'll say, well, can I see it? And, and often it's, I'd say nine times out of 10, it's they've taken the Zwara deck and just kind of pasted in their own logo uh, and changed a few words. So, <laughs> um, there's a lot, I've been just getting a lot of requests for like, how do I think about kind of this in a broader context? How do I apply it to my situation? And so this book is, is really about that kind of the, the theoretical underpinnings of this, of the, of a strategic narrative, why it works and then how to kind of apply it in many different situations. Um, so yeah, that's what it's about. Thanks for asking. I was really hoping that part of the book would be about how to go to a startup and have it get acquired in a year, which seem, you seem to have figured out like multiple times, right? <laughs> so everybody wants to, everybody wants to solve that, that mystery. What, what, what are a couple things that, what are a couple pieces, that have, couple pieces of advice that you might give to people who are about to go through an acquisition or are just on the other side of the acquisition. I, I can think of a lot of salespeople and account executives right now who are uneasy because they just got bought and they're not, you know, nothing has happened yet, but they're unsure if their position is going to be eliminated. What is, what is the other side of an acquisition look like mm. um, from your perspective? You know, I don't think I'm like, so Richard asked the question earlier, I think like Andy, have you ever actually been in sales? The question, the answer is no, I have not. I mean, I was a CEO and so I was selling and the marketing side, as, as Richard said, I've, I worked with uh, sales teams quite a bit, but I, I've never been a salesperson. And so I, I don't know that I can, I feel qualified to give advice to salespeople. Is it like, but, but you were, you have been in places though that were acquired even as a product marketer. What's get, suppose, suppose we change the, let's change the narrative. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, and I'm on the marketing team. There's already a marketing team that exists. Oh shit. What should I do? Yeah. What, what I, you know, even when the company gets acquired, there's this new <laughs> challenge, right? We used to have to tell the, tell the story to customers. We had to tell it to our internal team. Now we've got to also tell it to this bigger organization. Who, what, what are we going to play? What role are we going to play in this bigger, uh, in this bigger company? You know, in some cases, the bigger company actually takes on the narrative of the, of the, the smaller one. Um, this is happening by the way. So there is a company that I, I can't, well, actually I can say it, uh, because, uh, He's going to be, the CEO is going to be in my podcast, my next podcast episode. So this company is called Skyslope and they, so they're in the real estate um, space. They have a SaaS platform for real estate brokers and they were acquired by Fidelity 
not the investment Fidelity, but the Fidelity is a company that that does some lion's share of the uh, title processing. So when you buy a home and you know they have, you have to go and sign for the title to get changed, that they do that. And so they bought Skyslope, and the CEO of Skyslope, he had been talking to me about working together. Then they get a, and we we sort of never never happened. Then they get acquired, and he says, "Hey, we just got acquired. Now I want to work with you." I'm like, "What? What? 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 I, you got acquired? Like, isn't?" And turns out, first of all, like I think you know the way he's still there, and I think he must have incentives about you know doing well. Um, but the, there was this whole thing about how he's going to position, tell the story of Skyslope within Fidelity, and. And also, of course, to his own employees about, hey, what does that mean for us? You know, what's, are we going to be sort of, you know, this sideshow or are we going to have a main role? So it became this, um, it, it, became, it was the same thing, you know, how are we going to craft this narrative? And that became uh, the focus of our work. And it's been interesting to see the parent company now, to some degree, has started to take some of this narrative uh, as well. It's in, that's that feels like the same story from uh, Discover Org and Zoom Info, right? Discover Org bought Zoom Info. They did all this analysis and realized that Zoom Info had the stronger brand name, and they have had to rewrite that narrative. Um, so I, that's 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 always an interesting story to me of how do you do that, right? Um, and I know Henry, the CEO over there, and, and I think he's done a tremendous job. I don't. I, Again, I don't know if you're allowed to say anything, but have you worked with them at all on this, or or, or do you know of this? Uh, I have not. No. Okay. So, uh, well, cool, and this has been awesome, man. We we really appreciate your time, and and uh, how are how are you and your family doing? I know you're you're homeschooling. Um, I know that um, you know you've got uh, one son who's seven years old. How are you and the wife handling it? Uh, yeah, so you know, yeah, my wife works, and uh, so she's she's in our office. I'm actually in in our bedroom. Uh, he's is it, uh, he's, is it a long commute from the office to the bedroom? <laughs> uh, th thankfully, or or not, thank you know, not not that long. But uh, he uh, he go he does that commute between the two of us, and uh, yeah, look, thankfully, like his teachers are now getting their act together in terms of um, you know online schooling. He also does taekwondo, which. Uh, his teachers were like from the very beginning, like started to do their classes online. And uh, you, you have not experienced mute button rage until you've been on a call with like a hundred, you know, seven year olds doing Taekwondo. <laughs> uh, but they eventually, you know, they eventually got, got the boat, got that figured out. And uh, that's been a real godsend. So uh, I know you have, you have kids too, right, uh, Richard? How are you guys doing? Yeah, Scott. Scott and I both have kids. Both you both have boys, twelve and ten. So, um, which is part of why our bond and relationship works because we can sit down and you know we we yeah, have we, our own little we suffer together happy hours. <laughs> yeah, we suffer. We suffer together. You know. Right. Scott, what's so, that? What does that say on that note behind you? I I just barely can't read it. That is a note that says you don't get good at anything by giving up except giving up. And my son, who is now 10, said that when he was five years old. Wow. And uh, wrote it down because I was like, how the hell does this five-year-old, you know, speak so profoundly? And um, I sure as hell, and everybody probably needs that reminder and reference. So I, uh, 
found it in, in the office, which is now where I'm, I'm working all the time is cleaning stuff up. I found it and was like, I'm just going to pin that up. That's so, so cool. I leave it there. Yeah. My, my son's Taekwondo. They, they, and, uh, when, when, when we used to go to the actual space, they have a big banner that says a black belt is a white belt who never gave up. Uh, nice. and that That's is a good, good, that, that, or the way it's expressed there is, is a good narrative to live by. Yeah. Yep. There's Absolutely. the title of the uh, episode right there, Richard. Waited Black. like a good storyteller. He waited till the very end to deliver the goods. Yeah. Well done. And like yeah. an even better one, you found the you 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 found the TLDR version. <laughs> <laughs> so, is there anything that we can do we can do for you, man? Is there any way that we can be be helpful? We try to end every episode with uh this this offer and whatever whatever that means whatever shape and form that that takes well i used to have uh, i used to do like workshops at uh, general assembly every month that were in person that i would sometimes tell folks about and a lot of salespeople come to them and tell me they've uh they've gotten a lot out of them uh they're on hold now obviously uh i'm I, i'm really hoping that i can go back to doing stuff in person i, I really love doing this stuff in person versus uh versus online but you know maybe we'll be maybe i'll be uh that just won't have to be possible and we'll do it online but yeah for now um uh, yeah nothing i have to plug or anything like that um i'm on linkedin and i'm always writing about this stuff on linkedin so if anybody wants to you know uh to, to learn more about this stuff that's usually a good place to connect with me on yeah. linkedin great what, what's the name of your podcast oh yeah so my podcast is called the bigger narrative and I have, uh, my mother uh, hates the name, and the first episode is, starts with her telling me why. Uh, and the, uh, but each episode I have a CEO on, and we talk about their narrative and how they, you know, what, what it is, how it works for them, how they use it strategically, uh, not only to sell, but also to align their teams and, and all the rest. That's really good. We've, we've done one episode with the wives. Right, we did the wives of Lord, living with. I'm not. I'm not prepared to bring my mother on. To that oh, I'm totally I'm prepared to bring Scott's I, I mother. I guarantee my mom is listening. I'm not prepared right. to bring you. Trust mom. me, I was not either. She happened to. She happened to be visiting, and she was like giving me shit about the name of my podcast, and so I was like, okay, mom, let's just record this, and then I put it on. I put it on LinkedIn, and she kind of became this minor star. Oh man. Yeah. Some would say the star of my podcast. Uh, just to Scott's mom, my phone number is 415-566-9149. I will gladly do one. Maybe we'll do it as a birthday celebration for Scott in June. You know, yeah. we, even, we did it. We'll just roll it out. So uh, I would love to talk and to Scott's dad too. I want to hear those stories too. I, you know, I want to hear the other side. So Nobody wants to hear those stories. Believe <laughs> me, Scott, they do. Believe me. <laughs> I'd be willing to bet that... Andy's mom's episode is probably one of the most popular episodes because when well, people find now I have her, she introduced, basically I sent her the interview I do with the CEO in advance. And then she, um, intros the show with her take on kind of what people are going to get out of it. Uh, so she kind of boils it down and I found that that's uh, that that's kind of helped to get into these shows. It do, does it better than I do. Uh, Congrats, congrats on teaching your mother that much technology because my mom would, I'd be, I, I, it, I would be pulling, you know, the rest of my hair out of my arms if I had to teach my mom how to do that. So There, there, there is a little bit of that, uh, there is a little bit of that frustration. Yeah. yeah. 
So, but, man, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah great, great to seeing you. with you both. Uh, good to see you good again, time. Scott, and, and great to meet you as well. Uh, sorry, good to see you again, Richard, and great to meet you, Scott. Yeah, yeah you too. Yeah. All right, man, stay in touch and stay healthy. Okay, you too, both of you.